The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And you're listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the globe. You know, Doc, a while back, a California veterinary hospital, Alicia Pet Care Center, posted a trio of TikTok videos asking its veterinarian staff about the weirdest things they have extracted from a dog's tummy <laughs> and the oddest things their own pups have eaten. The list is actually really funny, but at the same time, it's frightening. So let's check it out. So four tennis balls at one time, Ugh. a finger puppet with help me eyes that appeared in the x-ray. They said it looked absolutely spooky. Plumber's tape, which I have no idea what that is. Pink glittery underpants, hmm. assorted garbage, peach pits. Now here was one I thought was crazy. An entire bottle of Gorilla Glue that expanded into the dog's stomach, Ooh. a minstrel cup, Ugh. an entire boot, and that one was in a cat's. Mm. How big could the cat have been? Mm. Sounds like a python. Diapers, it, which they probably got the dirty diapers out of the garbage can. Mm. Soap, which is understandable. Um, a two and a half inch fishing hook. Fisherman left that lying around. That's why you got to have a fishing case to put all your stuff in. Squid and an accompanying fishing hook and five tampons. You know what the funniest thing I ever did? I was going to just ask you that. Okay. What's the weirdest and craziest thing? The weirdest things? thing was in my first year of practice, way back when, actually 50 years ago, I was taking care of a, of a breeder's assets, and she called me in the middle of the night about 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, she asked me to come to her house because her 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 pet was having serious tummy issues. I got there about 3.30 in the morning, wondering why I did went to the house instead of the hospital. And guess what she showed me that the pet passed in its stool? I don't know. What is it? It was a towel that you take to the beach. That big a towel. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I don't even know how these dogs can I eat all either. that. I mean, I that's crazy. Ugh. But we got to move on with the yes, lineup of yes. today's show. So what's on the agenda? This week we're talking about cats and curfews. Doggy depression, paw injuries, the death of Ivana Trump. And when you're a dog mom or dad, it can be tough to watch your normal pup calm down during a thunderstorm. While some dogs show mild signs of stress like barking or whining or licking their paws, others can get all worked up and really cause a lot of destruction. So to better understand how to calm your dog during a thunderstorm, I brought in one of my favorite dog trainers, my friend Amy Robinson. Hey, Amy, welcome back to the Pet Buzz. I'm so glad you're here talking about this subject. Hi there. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Amy, why do you think dogs don't like thunderstorms? Wow. I think part of it might be the anticipation. So much like separation anxiety, where your dog's already nervous when you're picking up your car keys and your sunglasses, the same thing goes with thunderstorms. They can smell the barometric pressure dropping. They can sense the ozone in the air. They know it's coming far before we do, and they can probably hear thunder in the far distance when we cannot. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. A lot of people are always surprised by doggy actions beforehand. And that kind of leads us into my next question. You know, before we talk about soothing our dogs in preparation of these thunderstorms, let's talk about why understanding canine body language is key uh, and why it's important for us as pet parents to be able to read that language. Yes, there are generalizations you can go to, like if your dog's afraid, he's probably not standing up really straight. He might be crouching a little ears back, but nobody knows your dog like you do. And they are all extremely individual. A dog I know, she likes to kind of pant really hard, even though she's not hot. And then I know trouble's coming. You know, and I, I think that's a really good point, because like we said, like you said earlier, a lot of times the dogs hear the thunder before we actually do so that, of course, then they react. So by being able to read this body language, it helps us know the storm is coming and that we need to prepare. Next question, I think I want to ask you about um, having a safe space or a crate for a dog who gets anxious during thunderstorms. Good idea, bad idea? I love the safe space idea. Crates are wonderful if your dog is already used to it. And uh, if you can get away with leaving the door open and just making the crate kind of a haven with a little roof over it, they love to usually love to have a roof over their heads. That's wonderful. I also like uh, if you can just be with them in the same room. Some dogs like to go on your desk when you're working. So make like a little pillow for it so that they can't see what's coming out the window. They can feel enclosed without being strictly enclosed. Yeah, and a lot of people think crates are ugly, but I, you know, I believe that they're necessary when you have a dog. And the reason being, it's always nice for a dog to have his own room. Right, Amy? Right. Imagine you're checking into a hotel. You don't want the manager to say, hey, go ahead and camp out in the lobby anywhere you want. You don't need a room. You want your own space. So a crate or something similar, some confined area is your dog's home within your home. Right. They love to den. They really do. They like just like their, you know, their ancestors, the wolves. They love their pack animals. They love to den. So it's a great safe space for them. So what other items? I mean, for example, is background noise um, helpful to distract dogs uh, from the sounds of thunder? You know, my go to lately has been calming music for dogs. It's it's formulated to be very simple. They can't deal with orchestral movements with a lot of different instruments, but they love simple piano music or acoustic guitar. And YouTube is full of sites for calming music for dogs. And you know what sounds really great about that? It's free, correct? Completely. Oh, I like that. So you don't have to go out and buy the latest calming CD for your dog. You can go to YouTube and you can, you know, play the music. And like you said, it can go on for hours, right? Yeah, some of them 10 hours, 15 hours. Now, there will be an occasional ad, but then when it's over, the music's back on. Hey, I really like that. Okay, so what other items can we use to soothe or help our dogs when there's a thunderstorm? I really like some aromatherapy. For example, chamomile, lavender scents are very soothing. But you can do this inexpensively by just getting some tea, you know, celestial or whatever brand you like. And then taking the tea bag and kind of rubbing it on bedding. Remember, their sense of smell is so powerful. They don't need a ton of scent to pick that up. You know, and I think that's another great economic solution because right now everybody is worried about money. What's happening with the economy, the price of gas, you know, buying items at the supermarket. So these are great, simple, inexpensive solutions. So I'm really, really digging that. Okay, so, um, you know, what about toys or, you know, 
or treats or like Kong stuffed with uh, peanut butter and things like that. Are, are those helpful? Yes. And it will also help you to know how stressed your dog really is. So if your dog's a fiend for a tug toy and he won't touch it, then you'll know he's really unhappy. But I, I do like the uh, hidden treat method. Make them work for a little bit. So you can actually hide them around the room or you can, like you said, stuff a Kong or a similar toy with channels and kind of rivulets. I really like using a little cream cheese and then kind of mushing some treats down in there so that they have to work a little bit. Kind of takes their mind off their troubles. No, I think the, those are great solutions and they're, and they're solutions that people are aware of. They're solutions that they don't have to look up or, or try to figure out. So I like those suggestions as well. Here's the big thing, because so many of us work, it's not during, you know, we're still in a COVID mode, but many of us have gone back to work in the last few months or in the last year. So what happens when the storm comes, when our dogs are home alone? I do think we should be setting up these uh, mitigating factors that we're trying to introduce well beforehand. So if you are rushing around at the last minute trying to turn on your music and your aromatherapy, I'm afraid that your dog might see that and say, uh-oh, thunderstorm's coming. So you want to kind of casually do this ahead of time. Close the blinds. If you know there's a certain space where your dog likes to go, whether it's on the couch, under your desk, make sure that's available. And you might try to sort of block the view of the window with some big pillows or something like that. You know, I think this is great information. Um, you know, Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you give us your website where we can learn more about you and your training methodology? Sure thing. Amy Robinson, dog expert.com. And you've got some new online classes, right? Yes. Individualized, customized. I've got video that is not on my YouTube channel, although I have a ton of video on my YouTube channel for free. There are some customized pieces that I can use to help people with really individualized problems. I think that's great. So many people are going to the internet, are going online these days. And I think it's so great that you're online helping people. Amy is a great dog trainer. It doesn't make a difference that she lives in Florida. She is internationally known. So I think that's great. I'm glad that you were able to join us today. Well, just to remind everyone, that was one of our dream team members and dog trainer, Amy Robinson, discussing how to soothe dogs during thunderstorms. You know, I really think it's a great idea for pet parents, especially in the summer months when it gets really hot and thunderstorms are going on really all over the country when you get when it gets really super hot to really watch the news or get one of those little um, lacrosse machines that help you know what's happening in terms of the weather so that you're prepared so that when you're gone or you leave for the day or leave for work that your pet is going to be calm and cool he'll have that great maybe he'll have a toy uh, and that way you won't worry as much and camera is also a great idea you can talk to your pet uh, if you're at work uh, or you're on the road somewhere so i think it's really great but keep abreast of those daily weather reports and that way you'll be best prepared uh, to help your dog during his thunderstorm anxiety you are listening to the pet buzz with pet trendologist charlotte reed and veterinarian dr michael fleck we love to communicate with you via social media use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com.
Welcome back to the Pet Buzz. You know, Beth, you're one of our favorite guests. We love having you. We say it all the time, but you know, we really mean it. It is always great to have you here offering your insights to not only Dr. Fleck and myself, but to our listening audience. It's great to be here. I, I love being one of your special people. The Bidens uh, got a cat. So, you know, we knew they were planning on getting a cat for a while, but if a pet owner is planning on bringing a cat into a dog home, how can a pet owner best prepare? And I'm talking in advance to bringing the cat into the house. Two things. The first are things to set up the house. Um, the, the thing that makes cats feel most comfortable in canine households is lots of really high spaces that are out of reach of the dog so that if they feel a little scared or threatened, they can jump up really high and get, get away from the dog. Um, it's also, I think, good to put the litter box in a dog-free room. And it's really easy to make a dog-free room. You can um, put a baby gate uh, across the doorway that the cat can jump over, but the dog can't. You can um, put a cat flap in a door. You can uh, just use a, a doorstop, like a baby doorstop, to just have the door open like six inches, enough for the cat to get through, but not the dog. So the dog doesn't go foraging in the litter box. The cat can poop in peace. Pooping in peace is important to all creatures. So I think high spaces, cat-free room. Let's talk about introducing the cat and the dog, especially if the dog is still a puppy or even a younger dog. I think it's important for the dog to be on leash in the first introductions. Um, and for them to be in a place where the cat can exit easily so you don't stand in the doorway with the dog because the cat has to be able to feel like I can get out of here. If I just don't feel good, I can get out of here. So there has to be a high space in the room and an exit. Dog is on leash. If you have a, a really adult, you know, sort of well-trained impulse control dog, you can teach a leave it cue, which I think you should teach a puppy as well. But puppies, you know, they're not reliable. They're like little kids. They get excited. They can't really be, uh, you know, relied on to follow their training. So I think they need to teach a leave it cue to the puppy too. But for now, when they meet, on leash. And I think, you know, brief, very brief um, introductions during which they're allowed to get as close as they feel comfortable closing. They're allowed to retreat if, they, if that's what makes them feel better. And they're both given um, treats, rewards for interacting calmly so that they can start to have this sense of, Wow, every, every time I see him, I get a treat. He must be pretty good. Now, what about that all, that method of putting a, a puppy gate up and having both a dog and cat on one side? Well, that's called habituation, and it means you just get used to it. Mm -hmm. And the problem with habituation is that you don't have a chance to reinforce the behaviors you want to see. Okay. So there can be fighting at the gate. And yes, the gate protects them from hurting each other. But, you know, that fighting could then, you know, just sort of that's becomes the habitual or fighting. What, what you do, you know, in a more controlled environment is you let them be together and be curious and reinforce curious, calm behavior. Mm -hmm. And when that behavior gets a little bit, you know, reactive, you quickly separate them. And that way you have a chance to reinforce the behaviors you want to see and not give them a chance to practice the behaviors you don't want to see. And really, most people buy smaller gates because they think about the price. And a dog can very easily, especially a German Shepherd, can very easily climb over a gate and get into yes. that cat space. Depending on the size of the dog, you can put the gate six to eight inches up off the floor. Sure. Um, which will make it taller. The cat can shimmy under and you just need to make sure it's not so high up that the dog can shimmy under. 
there's a lot of people in that White House. They're all running around, you know, sure there are not as many cat or even dog lovers there. So so what do we what do we tell that that staff? Well, I mean, I think the first thing always is that both the cat and the dog need ways to get away from people if they want to, but they also need ways to interact with people if they want to. You know, you don't want to end up in a situation where I always have the cat locked up in that room and you know, for 10 hours, 15 hours a day that I'm working, whatever. The cat doesn't see anyone, the dog doesn't see anyone. So you wanna have ways for them to choose to interact with people if they would like, and for people to interact with them in positive ways. And so one nice thing you can do is just have a little cookie jar in your office so that when people come in, if the dog and cat choose to come in, strangers can give them a cookie, you know, hey, nice to see you. And then they go, wow, I like strangers. They always give me a cookie. Sure. Um, you also need to make sure people aren't lingering at the front door so that your dog or cat doesn't dart out the front door. So it's like when you come in, come in quickly and then take off your coat and then take off your hat, you know, and let's not, let's not greet each other with the door open um, because you want the door to be open and close very quickly. You don't want uh, cats to run out. Willow, I know is a barn cat. And I think um, that's going to be an adjustment for her to not be able to dash out the door. And so, especially for a situation like that, you know, because it is going to be an adjustment, the White House is big, but I think they're going to have to be pretty uh, careful about um, the White House has a vestibule. I visited twice about people coming in the first door of the vestibule and then the second door. Can you imagine the great photos of Dr. Jill with Willow on a leash and collar out in the White House grounds? How would that look? I think that's a great idea to, to train Willow. So cats typically put them in a little walking jacket because a collar, it's really easy for them to back out of. Um, so walking jackets, they're more secure and also they're typically made of fabric, and so you have a lot of fashion choices uh -huh. with cats, which can be really lovely. And well, Dr. Think, Jill likes her fashion. She does, and Willow is kind of a, a gray smoke tabby, and I think there's a lot of beautiful colors to go with that, including yellow, like you're wearing now, and also red. Yeah, six times as many people are allergic to cats than dogs. So what should the Bidens or any family that add a cat addition, tell their friends or guests or even staff that come to their home. I'm so glad you asked me that question because I did an article a while ago for a newspaper about allergies and I interviewed the head of the um, board, the board certification body for allergists about that, about cat allergies specifically. And he said to me, it's so rare for a person to be allergic to one thing, only one thing, that if you find someone like that, we all like bring them to the allergy conference. It's nobody is allergic to just one thing. Everybody is allergic to more than one thing. So if you're allergic to cats, most likely you also have seasonal allergies, trees, grasses, pollen, things like that. And so what he recommended was that you see an allergist and get your allergies dealt with in whatever way your allergist feels is appropriate. Sure. And so, you know, it's, I was asking him specifically about, you know, getting rid of the cat. And he said, no point because you can't get rid of the trees and the pollen and the dust and right. all of that. When I have people come to visit me who are, have cat allergies, they typically ask me to lock the cat up in a room. And my answer to them is there's cat hair and cat dander all over my apartment. So locking up my cats is not going to do you any good. I always vacuum very thoroughly the morning that they come, but there's still, if you live with cats, there's cat stuff all over your apartment. Sure. And then I give them a Zyrtec when they come. Wow. I have plenty and I give them one. <laughs> hey, any last words for the Bidens? So what I'm going to say is really take the time to train them. I know that 
Dr. Jill and the president are sometimes very busy and there's no reason that they can't have staff members and other people train the dog and the cat, but training must be done and the time needs to be taken to train them. It's very important. I don't think management by locking the dog up and locking the cat up is good for anyone. And why do you have a pet if you don't want to want them to be around? Sure. I also think we all know the habit that cats have of knocking things off onto the floor. And so I do think that, especially if they're going to leave important things around in the Oval Office on the desk um, at night, you put some little fuzzies on the desk that the cat can knock down so then the, the international treaties don't end up, you know, in a mess on the floor. Beth, give us your website because we need to have that so people can look you up and learn more about you and see and know why you're a dream team mother member other than your, you know, your appearances on the pet bus. Beth Edelman, Wix site, backslash behavior. Great. Thanks for viewing our content on Pet Buzz Plus. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. The show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Now it's time for our new feature, the Pet Buzz Mailbag. You've got mail. Glenn is from Ohio writes, summer can be stressful for pets with travel plans, boarding kennel stays, visitors to a home, and drastic changes in temperatures. She wants to know how she should keep her pets healthy. Great question, Glennis. Stress can really take its toll on our bodies, and it can take a toll on our pets too. Supplements do help, and I recommend King Canine's Green Immune Plus Superfood. It's a cutting-edge supplement. It's a combination of... Um, it's a cutting edge supplement combination that provides perfect support for canine joints, skin and co-care, as well as antioxidant health. It's rich in glucosamine, chondroitin, vitamin C, E, antioxidants, and minerals such as copper, zinc, selenium for your pets. This green supplement is best for overall pet health and wellness. And you can find that at kingcanine.com. And that's King k9 with a k k a n i n e.com we've got a question from judy from michigan charlotte can you review some of the biggest summer pet concerns well of course i can judy well the biggest summer pet concerns really revolve around heat specifically hydration sunburn and paw burn and heat exhaustion and heat stroke pet hydration is always important especially in hot and humid weather as pens as pets tend to lose a lot of their body fluids through sweat. For pet parents on the go, it's always a great idea to carry water for both pets and themselves, but also a convenient water bowl. So I like this water bowl from Loving Pets uh, because you can clip it on. It's a graded bowl, but it has legs. So also sunburn's a big issue. So prevent sunburn for white, uh, white dogs, dogs that are low to the ground, uh, dogs that are predisposed to skin cancer like golden retrievers with EpiPet sunscreen, the only FDA-approved sunscreen. So the other thing is you want to prevent paw burn this time of the year. So to prevent paw burn, walk your dog in the early morning hours, later in the day when the temperature drops. Best to walk your dog on grass. And a lot of people love to try boots, but you really need to train your dog to wear boots because that just doesn't happen overnight. Paw bombs can help a little bit, but when your pet comes inside with those greasy paws on carpets and flooring, eh, a lot of pet parents nix that idea. Also, cooling pads can be useful to keep 
uh, pets cool in beds and crates and travel bags. Um, but it's really a good idea if you carry towels and water. So if your pet does get overheated on a walk or a dog or a run, to, if your pet does get overheated uh, at the dog park, you can wrap them in cool, wet towels to help reduce his body temperature and then immediately get him into the air conditioner. Additionally, I want to emphasize never leave your dog unattended in a hot car. It could kill them, cost you high vet bills, and you, depending on where you live, can be prosecuted. Okay, David, Rhode Island writes, what about cats and seasonal health? Great question. I'm glad you're a cat man, David. Well, one of the biggest summertime problems that I see with cats is fleas. Most people never want to believe their cats can get fleas if they don't go outside. Fleas, it's really important to note, can transmit disease as well as cause allergic reactions and kitty hair loss. Worse yet, home infestation can lead to health concerns for pet owners as well as extermination expenses. So flea control doesn't have to be expensive. Consider something like Tevra Pet Active Spot 2. It's a monthly and vet quality topical flea and tick solution for a lot less money. Active Spot 2 prevents and kills fleas, flea eggs, and flea larvae. It really breaks the flea cycle by preventing reinfestation. It's available in two choices and based on weight. You could check it out at tevrapet.com, David. Okay, we got another question here from ward he lives in florida ward writes he got two puppies recently and he's worried about the toads that he sees in his yard well that's an excellent question it's really important to know what kind of reptiles uh and and other mammals that live in your yard so i'm going to recommend a product that was originally created to deter cane toads. It's called Total Repellent. That's T-O-A-D-A-L, Repellent Ward. And it reduces the threat of amphibians and reptiles from harming our pets. Total is a synergistic blend of plants, oils, and other ingredients, which pet owners can recognize. It slows down, sedates, and or immobilizes reptiles and amphibians with three plus sprays. The spray acts as a mild irritant, so it's a really good idea as a preventative measure to spray your property. And that's T-O-A-D-A-L, repellent, R-E-P-E-L-L-E-N-T.com. Well, that's it for the mailbag. And now it's time for Celebrity Pet News. Ivana Trump, President Trump's first wife, died last Thursday when she fell down a flight of stairs. Thought to have died due to cardiac arrest, she had suffered blunt impact injuries to her torso after the fall inside her Upper East Side apartment. Many dog lovers, including myself, throughout the world knew Ivana as a dog lover. In past years, she was always seen around Manhattan's Upper East Side with her dog, Tiger. He was a six-pound Yorkshire Terrier. According to Ivana, in an interview not so long ago, Tiger is a fully credentialed as a comfort service dog who, she said, kept her calm. She said he didn't bark. He doesn't really bother anyone. She said he's more famous in Saint-Tropez than Bridget Bardot. And actually, before she died, she was on her way um, going to Saint-Tropez. But insiders reveal that's not necessarily the case. Tiger was cranky pooch with eyes only for Ivana. He was always under Ivana's feet. And that's when I thought maybe she had tripped and fallen down the stairs oh. because of the dog. Oh, but he was always snappy at everybody else. Um, rumor has it that 
Ivana will probably leave that little pooch of her millions of dollars for his care for the rest of her life. Well, presently, the dog is living with her assistant. Seems as if the assistant can handle Tiger. Lastly, the Trump family has kindly requested that funeral guests make donations in lieu of flowers to Big Dog Ranch Rescue, which is a Florida-based nonprofit organization aiming to minimize dog homelessness. The rescue has had a long-standing relationship with Trump and wrote after her passing that she was involved with many charities throughout her entire life, but always remained steadfast and passionate in her love for animals. Well, Ivana, rest in peace, and we wish that Tiger recovers quickly from the traumatic circumstances of your death. And now it's time for Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! So, Dr. Fleck, what's the topic for today? How do you treat a paw injury? Think of your dog's paw pads act much like the soles of our shoe, protecting your dog's foot. Paw pads are tough, but they can still be cut by sharp objects or worn off if your dog runs hard on rough terrain. Okay, what should you do when your dog cuts or tears his paw pad? Clean the wound, obviously. Gently flush the wound with water or an antiseptic such as diluted chlorhexidine solution. If there is obvious debris, such as rocks or glass, remove it carefully. Don't force anything that is lodged deep into the foot. Okay, let's talk about the bleeding. You want to control bleeding by applying pressure to the wound to stop any bleeding. Use a clean towel and an ice pack if available to encourage blood vessel constriction. If only the outer layer of the pad has been worn off, there may not be much bleeding, but deeper wounds and punctures can bleed heavily. The time it takes for bleeding to stop will vary with the severity of the wound. Okay, so talk to us about evaluating the damage. Minor paw injuries can be managed at home, but more severe ones require veterinary attention. Uncontrollable bleeding is an emergency. If your dog's foot continues to bleed after several minutes of pressure, call your veterinarian and head to the clinic. Deeper jagged cuts may require sutures for optimal healing. Your dog may need to be sedated for sufficient cleaning of the wound if there is persistent debris, such as little bits of gravel, and sometimes that is firmly lodged in the foot, which will need to be surgically removed. Your dog may also need antibiotics to protect against infection. If you are at all unsure, err on the side of the vet visit. Your veterinarian can give you peace of mind and give your dog the care they need. Doc, what about bandaging? Talk about that. Yeah, place a non-stick gauze or a telfa pad directly over the cut. If available, a dab of triple antibiotic ointment is a good idea to prevent infection. This can be secured with paper tape. Then wrap your dog's foot using roll gauze, vet wrap, or an elastic bandage. The bandage should be snug enough to stay on, but also needs to be loose enough to allow for proper circulation to your dog's foot. You can also place more tape around the top of the bandage. Keep the bandage dry. Moisture provides an entrance for bacteria to get through the bandage and into the wound. You can use a commercial booty to protect the bandage when your dog goes outside or just tape a plastic bag over That's it. That's a good idea and it's something that you have. Yep. Most paw bandages need to be changed daily, especially if there is still bleeding or a discharge present. For minor scrapes that look like a 
drug burn, a liquid bandage can be used to cover the exposed nerve endings without needing a full traditional bandage. Keep the foot elevated while the liquid bandage dries and don't let your dog lick it. Yeah. So for example, if you're sitting on the couch, just put a pillow over your dog's paw, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Okay. What about healing time for a dog's cut paw? Your dog's cut paw pad will heal faster if it's protected until fully healed. Keep him quiet and prevent him from running or chewing at the bandage. And this may require the use of an Elizabethan collar. I know most pet parents hate hate those. Hate (laughs) them. Even after your dog's pad is healed enough that it isn't painful to touch, it will still be tender and vulnerable to re-injury. Avoid activities that could damage the healing pad or use a booty to protect the foot. Healing time will vary depending upon the size of the cut, obviously. Anything else, Doc? That's all the Flex Facts for the week. Great. That was really interesting. I learned a lot, especially with four dogs and 16 and paw you know, pads. this happens a lot. It does happen it a does lot. Happen people, a lot. especially in the summertime when people are eating and throwing things on the ground or throwing bottles out. Um, next up, more with Danette about doggy depression as well as the I Likey of the week. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. die for i like it as the summer temperatures soar hydration becomes the forefront of conversation making misty mates personal misters a unique and must-have item not only for you but for your dog especially when you take those daily dog walks the miss pro 3 personal mister is eco-friendly it doesn't need batteries or electricity simply fill it with water the bottom portion extends to a pump and then mist yourself in photo when you're hitting the streets in the suburbs or in the city. For those that live in the country, take it with you on those rural paths. The Mr. 3 produces an ultra fine mist, finer than a strand of hair. Wet your pooch's back, chest, paws, and underbelly to cool them off. The Mr. is sleek, reusable, lightweight, and easy to carry, whether it's in the morning or in the evening. Check it out on mistymate.com and amazon.com. Hey, Doc, it seems like our next guest is on the phone, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce our uh, this segment. So depression, as we know it in people, is a mood disorder that causes feelings of persistent sadness and worthlessness. It's often linked with a loss of interest in normal activities, you know, the normal things that we do. So depression is more than just about the blues or temporary sadness or grief, though those feelings really all can play a part. I guess in humans, it ranges from mild symptoms of debilitating and chronic condition that interferes with the ability to perform daily activities, right? Mm-hmm. And treatment for human depression typically includes medication and therapy, but then there's the issue of our dogs. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to talk about if they can get depressed as well. So Danette Johnston, a certified professional dog trainer, licensed veterinary technician, and an advisor to Healthy Paws Insurance, is joining us to talk about dog depression. One of the most impressive items on Danette's bio is that she started a shelter training program in which she educates staff and volunteers at rescues to improve the lives of shelter animals. Danette, welcome to the Pet Buzz. Thank you, Dr. Fleck. Thank you, Charlotte. Happy to be here. Well, we're so excited to have you. I'm sure many of the shelter dogs deal with depression. Can you talk a little bit about that? They do. Shelter environments vary, of course, shelter to shelter, but all of the dogs who are coming there have been torn from everything they know. They are no longer in their normal home. They are not with their 
social structure and they're coming into an environment that may be loud, it smells different. Uh, it's very hard for dogs. Okay, so what about our pets? What causes canine depression in our pets? Well, I think we most of us do a pretty good job of meeting our dogs' basic needs, such as feeding and housing. Maybe they get to go out spaces to go potty, but I don't think we always do a great job at really filling their natural dog needs of foraging and sniffing and freedom of movement for their own body. You know, it's interesting that she brought that up because, you know, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people have gotten puppies and I have a friend, his name is Cruz, and he recently got, I mean, we're, I'm, so I, I'm bringing this up for a reason. And I know I said I wasn't going to do a lot of chattering right now, but, you know, Cruz is getting a new cat. And I said, you really have to think about outfitting your house in terms of the cat's eye. Same thing with a dog. You have to think about what the dog needs versus, you know, maybe that crate is ugly, but the dog needs a den or, you know, needs certain toys to play with. Right, Dr. Mm -hmm. Fleck? Mm -hmm. So, Danette, what I was going to say is what are some of the signs of, of doggy depression? Is it just about, you know... They can look similar to humans. They may be removing themselves from activities with us. They may be lethargic. I think that it's really critical when we're looking at any type of behavior issue that first thing we're gonna do is rule out a medical problem. Um, coming in as a behaviorist, I'm not going to give medical advice or medication advice, but when the first part of any behavior plan is getting a medical checkup first, we're looking for physical pain, we're looking blood work often. So we wanna rule out any kind of medical thing before we're looking at the behavior aspect of a plan for a dog. So, so are there some other conditions that can be confused with dog depression? Sure, and that's why we that's why we want to have that medical rule out. There can be cognitive issues, pain um, often is going to cause some depression. You know, we think about our animals, and they are not getting those needs met. They're not getting these uh, natural needs met, and just like us, our animals are captive really in our homes, and we have all been captive for a couple of years, and we know how that's affected our mental health, not being able to get out, not being able to engage in activities that we enjoy with people and other social beings that we love. Uh, Dr. Fleck, can you talk a little bit about cognitive dysfunction? Because obviously, you know, think about Morrow, our dog Morrow, mm -hmm. and how, you know, he can't see, he's getting older, he has a little bit of senility. That could, you know, make him depressed, correct? Yeah, that's something that, that I think we're seeing more and more of because our pet population is aging more, I think. And uh, so as they age, it's just like us as people, you know, we get this cognitive dys dysfunction as well. And it's, it's something that's really kind of serious because not only does it affect the pet, but it also affects the pet parent because they're having a very difficult time trying to understand that that pet doesn't have that same normal energy and activity that interacts with them that they've had before. And so it actually, I think, probably makes the, the pet parent actually have some some issues too. Sure, I know I'm really suffering with his limited mobility because of the blindness and the fact that he's getting older and it's just harder even dealing with time management to give him a lot of extra time. This also makes it more difficult or I shouldn't say more difficult is something that veterinarians have to take into consideration when they're treating their patients that not only are they treating their patients but in some degree they're treating their clients too. 
Yeah. What, 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 what can we do to help our dog? Uh, well, this is my favorite question. So when we are looking to enhance our dog's lives, I think really what we're looking at is enrichment. Enrichment is both mental and physical. So the easiest uh, way uh, I think we can provide for this mental enrichment, which is providing for a dog's natural needs are what I like to call sniffaris. So we take our dogs out into nature and let them smell and let them forage and sniff and all of these things. Now, some of us live in areas where that is difficult to do and maybe impossible. Maybe you're not comfortable with your dog off leash. So the best investment is a long line. Find somewhere if you can where you live where your dog can just roam and forage. This is hugely affects their mental health if they're able to sniff and roam freely. Remember, most of our dogs are captive. They are living in our homes. Maybe the only time they go outside is tethered to a leash. Maybe we're walking them on a heel. Um, I don't walk a dog on a heel. I think that's a terrible, boring way for a dog to walk. I want him to be able to sniff. If you are not in a place where your dog can have access to running free, um, even on your own walks in the city, let your dog choose what direction you're going in. Get to the corner and wait. Do you wanna go left? Do you wanna go right? Do you wanna go straight? And let your dog do that. Let them sniff on their walks. Don't keep them tethered tightly to you. You know, I think that's a, a great, I, I think that's a great part of a treatment plan. I know. So with the way the finances are, so many people have been moving from state to state. Um, some people have recently lost a family member during COVID. And these are all reasons. I mean, like I just mentioned, my dog Morrow um, is suffering from blindness now, uh, as well as old age, and he has limited ability, but he does like to go out uh, and walk on a leash. I've even when I walk all four. I don't I walk him by himself that's one way I get to spend some time with him uh, and I think that's a great idea some extra pets and and some more love but Dr. Fleck can you talk to us a little bit about maybe some of the um, some of the things a veterinarian would do when it comes time down to doggy depression well it's real deep. that's why we have our guest on today because... I know but the two of you are providing some info interesting information yeah behavior wise I think that that our guest really does offer a lot. Danette's Met awesome. Danette's awesome. Um, medication is, it, it, it's really difficult because there are some supplements that may help as the, as the pet ages um, for, for this type of an issue. But I, I think that probably her input is even more important than our medical input because there really isn't medicines that can really help them as there isn't medicines that help the human side that well either. I like her suggestion of being able to take, take the pet out to experience something that is wonderful for them that may not be uh, experienced in their normal patterns. Down here in where we live in Brinton, Florida, uh, people have their pet go out in the backyard a lot. They don't always take them for walks. So maybe taking them for a walk might be appropriate. Let them 
Let him sense what's out there. Something new, something new experience will challenge them. I'm going to disagree with you, okay, because I have been a city dweller, okay, Mm -hmm. and there are lots of smells in the city. So that fulfills what Danette was talking about. You know, although you do have to keep your pet in a closer heel because it's New York City. But, for example, here in Bradenton, Florida, and I, I mean, people in my neighborhood are guilty of this. I'm the only person who consistently walks their dogs two to three times a day. Two now because it's so hot. They do go on the backyard off leash. They're never tethered in the backyard. But here we have such great nature. There are some pet friendly beaches. So there's one place you can get your dog off leash. There are pet parades and activities and dog parks. And we have beautiful, beautiful preserves three or four within a short drive that you could put your dog in the car and take for a walk where you can also get another smell. So I'm not disagreeing with you. I know you're talking about the average pet owner, but I think that's what Danette is talking about, right? I do think it's important to get off of their own property though. I really do. Because even though, you know, there may be new wildlife and things going through their yard, it's, it is, they're captive, you know, they're in our home, they're in our yard. So I, I do think that's one place. And this is, you know, even the, your response is very indicative of how we all feel too. I do think that getting them off property, you know, getting them to other places is really good. They're captive. You know, if we were only in our home and in our yard, that's hard. There's sure. one other thing though, I I do do in the home, which I think is a great way to provide mental enrichment, which is I call it creative feeding. And all it is is feeding your dog out of silly things. So any kind of toy that you can stuff food in, I'm a fan, I have of them all. But I also just use recycling. I'll feed my dog out of whatever boxes got delivered that day or a paper egg carton or a muffin tin from my kitchen or a rolled up towel, because we know that dogs actually do like to work for their food. That foraging is a natural dog behavior. Even if your dog is in the city, if you just don't feed them out of a bowl for breakfast and dinner and instead let them work for it, maybe find it thrown around the backyard, maybe in your kitchen, um, in these different devices, that's a fantastic way to provide mental enrichment for dogs also. Great puzzle toys out there too. Yep. Yeah, but I, th- I think what you're saying is that as the aging process comes in and deterioration of the senses, the one sense that doesn't seem to deteriorate that much is the olfactory or the smell. Right. So as much as you can offer that to the aging pet and the one that is showing this, that's really to their benefit. So we're not really disagreeing about no, anything. I mean, no, we're, we're not just dis- offering no. different options. No, and all I was just saying is that, you know, the average pet owner does take their pet in the yard and then walk but if you start expanding your view of your neighborhood you're going to find all sorts of really cool things and maybe another yeah, friend to yeah. work with i think it depends i mean in terms of treatment or you know and we also have to examine why dogs are depressed earlier in the show we mentioned uh, ivana trump you know dying and her dog uh, who's been with her by her side for many many years you know i'm sure will be depressed as well just my experience that experience other ones the shelter environment it just goes to show you that a lot of dogs, you know, we know they suffer from anxiety, but we also know they suffer from depression. Well, we also want to recognize, too, realistically, that if people aren't walking their pets now, it may be difficult to persuade them to walk the pet in the future. I mean, let's face reality. You know what? Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you give us a website? My website is dogsdayoutseattle.com. 
And I do have a lot of things in the blog section there. So there's a lot of articles and a lot of free information and free training tips on there too. So great. great well, just to remind you, that was Danette Johnston, a certified professional dog trainer, licensed veterinary technician, and an advisor for Healthy Paws Insurance talking about canine depression. So before we go, let's talk global pet news. And now pet buzz news from around the globe. So overnight prowls could be numbered for cats in Iceland. The people of some towns in Iceland have decided enough is enough, and they are instituting cat curfews, Dr. Fleck. Hmm. Beginning in 2023, the town of Akure, which has a population of 19,000 humans and about two to 3,000 cats will require house cats to stay indoors from 12 a.m. to 7 a.m. And this town isn't the only town in Iceland where cats have a curfew or even banned from outdoor life completely. But it's the hottest battleground with an opposition party that supports the free movement of cats. The cat curfew people cite two main reasons, Dr. Flack, for keeping these adorable demons inside. First, they kill a lot of wildlife, and second, they're a nuisance. So let's tackle the wildlife question first. A 2013 study by research at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute, I think we've actually talked about this uh, survey or this study, found that free-ranging domestic cats kill about 1.3 to about 4 billion birds and about 6.3 to 22.3 billion mammals annually. Now, I know you're making a little face right now, but this is one of the reasons why in Australia they were culling cats, if you remember this discussion. And that's why we're having wars between the bird people in the United States and the cat people in the United States. In addition, there was a 2020 study published in Animal Conservation, which tracked 900 cats with GPS in the U.S. and found that the cats kill locally. They don't often range any further than their own yards or maybe even a neighbor's yard, but they're still responsible for billions of deaths of birds and other mammals within a neighborhood. So basically our friendly house cats can have more of an impact on wildlife populations than wild cats, right? For example, think about the cats in my neighborhood. The wild cats pretty much stay within a two or three range household, right? But the cat, my next door neighbor's cat, is roaming all over the neighborhood. Additionally, people in this town complain about cats spraying and urinating on their patios or trampling flower beds or fighting loudly in the middle of the night. Annoying, yes? Yeah. So what do you think, Dr. Fleck? I'm not particularly crazy about this. um... Curfew? No. Or these stats? No, about the stats too. I mean, these seem like rather large numbers, um, and maybe they're accurate, but I'm wondering if that's just part of the whole process, uh, the selection process. Well, you know, it's it's kind of like a catcher's catch can for me because I have a neighbor who lets her cat out. She has two cats. Her cat sleeps on my patio in the front of my house and is also urinated on my patio in the front of the house. I have found him lying in beds of shrubs um i have found that they have killed a few birds and you know i have bird baths and bird feeders in my yard so i can understand it to a degree but i also take into concentration our city statutes which say dogs and cats cannot be off leash or cannot be 
without being under control. So they must be under a pet owner's control. So, I mean, I can see the points for both, but I think it's with two or 3,000 people, I mean, in a town, that's nothing. But when you get to the USA and a lot of towns are much bigger than that, you're going to find that, you know, you can't really impose a curfew on cats. Yeah, and I think most of my cat pet parents, their cats are, are very domesticated and pretty much inside all the time. If they do allow them to get outside, they're on a lanai, or maybe they do make it out to the backyard, but they don't roam. So I don't really think it's that much of a problem for our own personal cats. I'm really surprised with these statistics that they're talking about our personal cats are destroying these many wildlife and both mammals and birds. That seems like rather large numbers. Again, it's possible. I think it's something we should talk about next weekend because we got to wrap up the show now. And please. News of the day got you down? No worries. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with Tell Me Something Good. This is a necessity like air and oxygen. Tell me something good. Hey, let's end the show with something good. Well, a dog is lucky to be alive after a good Samaritan and officials from the New York Fire Department rescued it from the Harlem River. The incident, the distressing incident occurred on Tuesday when Marine 4 from New York Fire Department responded to a report of a dog that was in distress in the Harlem River after somebody reportedly threw it off a bridge. When Marine 4 arrived, Lieutenant Salvador Sedano discovered a civilian in the water with the flailing animal trying to keep it afloat and rescue it from drowning. It's currently unclear who threw the dog into the river, shame on them, or why they may have done it, but authorities were able to rescue the dog thanks to their quick response time as well as help from the Good Samaritan. Members from Marine 4 were able to bring the dog on board the vessel and take him to shore where he could receive the necessary care. Authorities did not disclose any further information on the age, condition, or breed of the animal, but posts on social media have received more than 8,500 likes in less than 24 hours. Well, without the quick response from both the civilian and FDNY members, the outcome for this animal could have been very different. Now that's something good. Well, it's always too soon to wrap the show. And I know you have, I know this is going to be a burning question in your mind because I can see it on your face. (laughs) So I'm going to try to find someone that we can bring in next week to talk about this. But before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. So next week, we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts of telehealth medicine with the president of the AVMA. Of course, we're going to try to bring in a specialist who can talk about how many Birds and mammals are being killed each year by wild and, and roaming cats. Yeah. Uh, but Dr. Fleck, can you thank our guests? Yeah, special thanks to our guests, Amy Robinson and Danette Johnston. Great guests. Really good to have them. Well, we always want to thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. If you have a question, write to us at team at the We'll cover it maybe on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the Link podcast on Monday morning. And most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pet. Peace out and pet love. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. 
The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.